Blog Talk Radio. Tonight, you know, one thing I try to do with uh, one mic, 
is I like to bring in uh, people like Teron because not only are they some of the best in their in their field, they're passionate about what they do, but we also want to think great things about um, what we like to do is also display some of their other talents, particularly in the sports world. And, and make no mistake about it, this guy is well-rounded in terms of other areas of sports and has interests. Uh, we're talking about all this stuff all the time on Twitter and going back and forth um, across all the seasons. So, you know, we both um, – and I get psyched when he's on to talk about the, the, the fight game because I, I think there's something we're missing with that. And it's good to have people like, uh, like him there dedicated to keep us engaged uh, in the fight game. And we'll definitely get uh, and talk about the mega fight that just occurred and everything in the aftermath of that and, and then our upcoming fight uh, with uh, Canelo – uh, Alvarez or uh, saw Canelo Alvarez and um, and uh, Kirkland, um, which I think is going to be, you know, and someone's just lost because I think this fight might give everybody what they hope last week was going to give them. This fight would definitely, I think, give them that. Um, and there are some superstars we have to pay attention to that are worth paying that kind of money for. Um, and so we're going to get to that. But um, I wanted to kick off a little bit of our funky editorial talking about something that uh, we all have been talking about today on the radio way. So let me get it teed up. Fellas, the one thing we need to say, yes, shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, right. Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, say it. Everybody want to get funky one more time. Our funky editorial, for those of you who probably listen to our big show, this is where we're we're talking about an issue that um has a broader context and um you know it's more opinion we're kind of taking positions on it and so today it's about the flake gate yeah the report came out and you know people are looking at Tom Brady sideways uh Kraft I still uh I've heard a little bit from him everybody has an opinion on this um, he was obviously at the fight, so he was front and center. He went to the Kentucky Derby, the fight. You know, he they interviewed him, and then the report comes out this next week, and then we all are talking about everything about Brady. Um, and so I want to spend our fucking editorial really talking about this because in some ways I think it does connect to uh, some of the things that we might talk about as it relates to uh, the fight we just – and all the aftermath. Um Teron, I want to start with this first question because you and I talked a little bit off this off the air. You know, is something like this gamesmanship or cheating in your in your view? I think that's a I think that's a great question. Um, and uh, when you when we spoke beforehand about uh, you know the, the little preview of some of the topics we were going to discuss, uh, and uh, and I saw that word gamesmanship. The first thing I thought was well. I know what I think gamemanship is. What? Let me see what the definition, uh, the listed uh, def- definition of it is. And uh, immediately I went to Wikipedia, and it says, gamemanship is the use of dubious, although not technically illegal methods to win or gain a serious advantage in a game or sport. Um, so I don't know. that. To me, that leaves a lot to, to be interpreted from it, um, you know, that term. Because it says not technically illegal. I mean, it doesn't say not legal, not illegal. It says not technically illegal. To me, the Flake Gate is illegal. Uh, it was 
you know, based on what what we know and what was in the report, uh, whether or not you want to say Brady was, you know, knew about it or not, the, the report certainly seemed to indicate more than likely he did. Um, some representatives from the Pats, from the Patriots, they, uh, deflated these balls because they believed either Tom Brady told them to or they believed that they gave Tom Brady a advantage because he had previously told um, these guys, or specifically um, one of them, the, uh, that he that he liked the balls below um, below the league standard. So they were acting on behalf of the Patriots as representatives of the Pats, and what they did, according to the rule book, is illegal. So to me, it crossed the line of gamemanship. It went into cheating. Uh, that, that's so now, what do you what do you what do you think? So so I mean, and see, this is what you get on real sports guy. See, this is why we bring a cat like this on. This is why we bring him on. So what did he do? See, we take a scholarly approach to this. He's like, let's get the definition. Like, let's not talk about it. Let's not be like these other stations that kind of nibble around it. Let's get down what we're talking about. Now, so when I listen to the way you read it, then based on that, it's illegal. Because, so an example of gamesmanship would be, I'm tugging on your shirt. Like, you run in, and it's kind of holding. It could be, but I'm tugging on just enough. You know, it's it's the kind of stuff that is somewhat in the law. I didn't hold on to it long enough, but I did impede your, your ability to, to cut, right? So it might not, I might not held long enough to be typically defensive holding. But I definitely slowed you down. You know, so you're talking about things that are really walking the line. And you would say this probably clearly crossed the line, right? And the other point I think you put on really is that nobody's going to do anything that's going to make Tom Brady is going to mess him up, right? Because you're only going to do something that you think is he, he would approve of. And you have to have some sense that he would, he would have uh, approved of that, right? And so – I would say it's legal. Now the question illegal, but now the question is what's the punishment? And I think this is where it gets tricky. So you've already established that is that you think it's illegal. So the question I'm asking you is since it's illegal, there's a lot of things that are illegal that have different degrees of punishment. Everybody's been talking about everything from he, he need to be he need to be banned for life to <laughs> you know you know, uh, all season to four games to a fine, right? So there's a legal activity, but all legal act, some illegal activity end up in fines. Some illegal activity end up like the uh, new, uh, the Saints, where people are gone for an entire season, in a way until or indefinitely. Where do you say now that you've determined that this is cheating? So it did break the rules. What kind of punishment do you think should be there, given what you've seen in the NFL do in the past? Uh, for we talking about both just Brady or both Brady and the uh, and the organization. I I would say well I'm gonna leave it open. So Brady, let's start with yeah. Brady, and then what you would say for the organization. For Brady, I think he should be banned for life. Ooh. Um. Okay, no, actually, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm a. I don't know if you know this about me, even though you know me pretty well. B, I'm a Jets fan. So. As a Jets fan. So so I'm glad you I, put that out. Yeah. <laughs> I I knew you had to, I didn't know if it was Giants, but when you were speaking, I'm like, he gotta be a Jets fan. 
He and Greenberg <laughs> over there commiserating together in pain. So they want to see the whole thing burn down. I, but you, I'm glad you put that out so so the listeners can understand there is a bias. So exactly, I can probably bring exactly. it back to the middle. So you you go off a of life. You like me talking about Woody Hayes. I'm you know being in Michigan talking about the Buckeyes or or Notre Dame or Duke basketball. Okay, I feel you. I feel you. Okay, we not we not opposed to that on the RG. We honest about this. So okay, so you I, I say you that. a Jets fan. Unlike Manny Pacquiao, I am not going to hide from the public something that uh, I think is very important <laughs> before I uh, present them with something. Uh, you know, in this case, my um, my argument. No, seriously, I don't think. Um, I was just kidding about the, the lifelong ban. It's a hard thing to figure out. Um, I, you pointed out Bount, Bounty Gate. Um, to me, not not only uh, – to me, you're operating, based on what the report says, under the assumption that Brady was aware of uh, what happened. Uh, now, whether or not he gave the instructions or not, he was aware uh, that, that the balls were being de- deflated. Um, and I think in addition to that, the, uh, so that that's one – that's one um, – one line that he crossed. The second line is, I think that you can make a a, a valid argument that he attempted to um, to derail the investigation, or certainly more, um, didn't cooperate with it. Uh, you know, when when the first when accusations first came out, uh, he said that he actually didn't even know um, the locker room attendant. He didn't even know who the locker room attendant was. Um, he also said he had n- no idea anything regarding. Um, you know, the ball's being deflated. So right away, if any time you've looked at, you know, similar issues where um, and the players have attempted to impede an investigation or have not cooperated, I think there's a history that Goodell has, um, you know, has come down hearted on that, you know. Yeah. I think this is a serious – this was a, a serious charge. You know, the, the, the Pats organization laughed it off. Um, but any time you're talking about cheating – uh, and there's a, you know, there's a long history of that. There's a recent history, um, you know, with with the Falcons uh, being fined for for playing fake crowd noise, with the uh, with the GM of the Cleveland Browns being uh, given a four game suspension for for texting uh, plays from the uh, you know up in the booth down to the sideline. There's an there's an issue with cheating. So when you add those two in, the cheating and the um, and the not cooperating with the investigation, I think that you're looking at a multiple game fine. Um, I mean, multiple game suspension. Excuse me uh, for Brady. And uh, I don't have a, a set number, but I think anything less than two would uh, would not seem just. Uh, so that that's my thoughts on it. And I, and I agree with you. And I think you know. So I mean, as I listen to you, actually have expanded, maybe changed a little bit. So. If we think about uh, what happened to uh, uh, the Saints, the harshness of their penalty had a lot to do with uh, a perceived um, uh, uh, obstruction of the of the investigation. Right? It wasn't just an yeah, act. Valid the reason point. why they Very lost, perceived that they did, and so that's why they did it. And so, if you use that as the as a and this is a high profile. This was decide who's going to Super Bowl, right? And so they tried to make the argument well. When they corrected it, you know that's where they actually won. But it was done with the intention to make that happen, and so and for you know deciding who's gonna go to the Super Bowl. So and then they won the Super Bowl. So if I'm the Colts, I'm mad, right? And so, but this is like, but y'all repeat 
y'all y'all repeat offenders. So you know, it's not like a first time thing. Y'all repeat offenders. So I'm thinking he got to get at least five. Now, when you say y'all repeat offenders, now you're including the Pats because Brady wasn't in the. Um, I know you're talking about obviously the uh, the videotaping of the sideline against my New York Jets uh, a couple years ago. Um, but in the, in that instance, Brady, I don't think Brady was was named. It was just a Pats organization, right? So technically, I think this would be his yeah. first. Yeah. I would say he part of it. You know, it's like you know how how they say the legal stuff. You know, uh, uh, what the was the root the root of the uh, of the uh, poison <laughs> fruit or whatever. You know, he that, it's that is it, it it it's it's part of the context, right? It's an organizational thing, so it's not just Brady's decision. All those things are organizational decisions that they all were caught up with. Brady also benefited from that, right? What like and how do we know he didn't know, right? So. I'm saying that you got an organizational culture. It's almost like uh, college college sports, right? What what's the biggest fine? Institutional control, right? That's one of the biggest things. And what we appear to have happen here is issues around institutional control, right? And I think that's why I say I think the fine for Brady. So this is what is interesting. I think the fine for Brady is uh, five games. Could 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 Belichick or Kraft? Get the same kind of suspension that uh, these owners down at, or these, the, the leadership down at uh, uh, um, New Orleans got, because they were parties involved or or responsible for to uh, a previous a previous actions. Mm-hmm. So Brady gets five, but could Belichick get longer? Could he get something like Peyton got? You know, because I'm Sean Peyton. I'm like, if Belichick walk out of this with nothing again, I mean, he got fined some money, but he didn't lose he didn't lose any coaching time on something I thought was probably as bad, equally as bad as what Peyton had to go through. Particularly when you understand what Peyton knew and he didn't know. You know, they held Peyton responsible for things he probably didn't even know. So, yes. you know, you see what I'm saying? And so I'm thinking like that. I'm thinking Brady for five, and then I think you got to look at. Either the GM, the owner, you know, they did some stuff with the Colts or or Belichick, which would really hurt them. You know, does Belichick lose games? Yeah, I mean, and you me personally, me personally, I think that the um, I think the organization as a whole should be fined. Uh, so in addition to a, um, there should be some sort of monetary fine given out. And in addition to that, I also think some sort of drastic uh compensations and certain yes. draft picks need to be lost. Uh, in regards yes. to Belichick, I have not personally had a chance to read all, what is it, 276? I forgot what the exact yeah. count yeah. for the uh, um, report is. And to be honest with you, I probably never will read uh, 200 plus pages of it. I'm trying but, to get cliff notes. <laughs> yeah, right. Please. Uh, I work with a graduate degree right them? now. I don't have time for that. I got other stuff to do. <laughs> when you find that, please, uh, please pass that along. But um, I I don't believe that Belichick should be uh, fined and or suspended uh, based on what I've heard out of the report. Uh, it seems to it seems to clear him. Like I said, the organization as a whole, I think, is responsible for their personnel. They're responsible for uh, what I I've read and but, but hold up. Do you, do you clear? Do you believe that anything has that organization that Belichick doesn't know about? 
as much as he's a control freak, Belichick is like Belichick is like uh, uh, George Bush or somebody just can escape it <laughs> in ways that nobody else. And I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna go political one way or another, but there are certain folks who can escape. How? So in one breath we say Belichick is great because he has great control, organization, detail, blah blah blah. Then when stuff like this happens, it was like he didn't know. It's, we treat Belichick almost like we do Goodell. I mean, if I'm Goodell, I'm mad. I'm Goodell. I might do it because y'all do this stuff to me. I mean, it's like, do you really believe anything happens in that organization that Belichick didn't know? I, I have a hard time believing that. But based on what I saw in the report. I didn't see anything. So, you know, so if you were asking me my opinion, just, you know, yeah. based on, like you said, based on the, what, the knowledge that I have of Bill Belichick and the time that he's been coaching, the way it seems that he runs his organization, it does seem hard mm-hmm. to believe that he is, uh, that he was completely unaware of the, the actions by these employees for the, um, for the past. But mm-hmm. without some sort of direct link, uh, whether it be some sort of text message or some sort, something, that shows that he had knowledge of it other than just an assumption. I don't think in regards to the head coach, I think, you know, and, and, and that might be a little uh, unclear for, uh, for those who are, um, who are listening or and I make a lot of sense, but I just think that the organization as a whole is held to a higher standard than just the coach, even though I do believe that, uh, that it's the, the team is the coaches. But I, I think when it, when you're talking about player uh, personnel, uh, mm-hmm. I think that the organization as a whole should be um, should take the uh, the brunt of the of the punishment. And I think that doing uh, a draft pick would hurt Belichick as well. It wouldn't hurt him like it would doing some sort of uh, you know obviously a monetary fine or a suspension where he would miss a game check and then, and also not be able to go out and do do what he loves, which is coach. But I, I think that that in regards to Belichick. So I, I think that's the one point where we probably disagree on this one. But I was surprised as a as, as a as a Jets fan. I thought you were gonna jump all over that. I thought you'd be like, yeah, yes. you know, I try to be objective, man. I try to be objective. It's, plus, we're out of the po- we're out of the football season right now, so my my yeah. I'm not wearing my you know my Jets uh, my Jets pain on my uh, on my sleeve like I might during the season when I'm dealing with you know. The with losses and all the other madness that comes with the NFL, so I'm able to be a little bit more objective because it's, it's springtime and and removed from the uh, from playing. But well, since you said it was spring, it's NBA season, and you and I have been going back and forth on Twitter and just throwing stuff out there, having a lot of fun with this. Just want to get your 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 perspective on kind of what you've seen in this first round and kind of second round. Some of your early thoughts in terms of things that. Uh, uh, have kind of intrigued you, and then also want to get some feedback from you on, you know, the Spurs. A lot of, you know, you know, is this the end of this dynasty, this long run? And I do call it a dynasty. Um, <laughs> you know, their level of greatness, the number of championships they had over the era uh, 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 with those same players, pretty much as the core and the coach. I do call it a dynasty. Um, uh, you know, just kind of your early thoughts in watching the NBA and um, and uh, 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 what you see in the first and second round. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I, obviously boxing is a sport that I love. Um, I also really enjoy uh, football and the NFL. 
but I would have to say uh, basketball is probably my second favorite sport uh, behind uh, boxing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, just like uh, the, the fact that I root for the Jets, I also root for the Knicks. Um, so this pain, I got pain on the football front and pain on the basketball front, but that hasn't stopped me from enjoying these, um, enjoying these playoffs. I came in with very high expectations. I have to say the first round, um, kind of let me down a little bit in regards to that. Uh, I still enjoyed the games. The, um, the Spurs Clippers series was, I mean, I don't know how long you've been watching NBA basketball, but I'm, yeah. I'm going to bet it's been 20 plus years. I can't think yeah. of too many final series were, that were as good as that first round matchup was. Uh, That's right. So that was great, but there were a couple of other couple other bummers uh, that you know series that just weren't competitive. Uh, the Cavs and the, the Celtics didn't do a lot for me. I know the Celtics; everyone was surprised that they, you know, I guess were able to be competitive within some of the games with the, the Cavs. But when you lose mm-hmm. a series four zero. Please don't tell me it was a competitive series. I know you lost all four games straight competitively, but you lost four straight. You didn't win one. So I don't, I don't want to hear that argument. Um, and then, you know, the, the the Mavericks, I expected much more out of them. They, you know, they kind of went out in, uh, in flames. The Trailblazers, mm. the same thing. The, uh, the Raptors, uh, you know, these are teams that either ended up winning one game or no games at all. Uh, and certainly on the west on the western conference we thought that you know from 1 through 8 the uh the matchups were were very close it it turned out that we got some surprises the uh the, you know the nets showed a little bit more life than i think most people thought but i i don't think i don't know about you but i personally never thought they had a chance to win the series so mm-hmm. though though they got a couple um I, I don't think they really put too much of a scare in the, the Hawks. i think they more woke them up um and then yeah so that that from the from the what we saw in the first round, that was pretty much my um. So that's pretty much how I felt about it. And then the last thing being injuries, uh, I think that's the other thing mm-hmm. that sort of have loomed large over the uh, the playoffs. You know, the fact that the Oklahoma Thunder, uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, that everyone you know that has two of the best players in the league didn't make the playoffs because you know three of their best three. Players have missed, you know, either a little bit or a huge chunk of time the whole season. That sucked. The uh, the Trailblazers injuries um, derailed them. You know, mo- losing uh, Wesley, Wesley Matthews. The uh, the Mavericks. Well, I don't know. I don't even. I guess you can't really say uh, injury so much with the Mavericks. I don't know what Rondo's issue was. Was that an injury that Rondo had? Yeah, I think it was just one of it was a, it was a, it was a, 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 a invitation to exit stage left. <laughs> My knee's kind of tweaking. You can take you can take the season off. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah, you can take the season off. <laughs> we 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 yeah, seen enough. Yep, yep. I, I'll I'll co I'll co-sign that one. Um. So so yeah. So that was that was my thoughts on the uh, first round and the other. And I got something actually. I want I want to know your opinion on. Uh, because I was talking to a couple buddies of mine about going forward. I would love if the NBA did in the first round. I think the number one seed, um, instead of just getting home court, which is great, uh, you know, throughout the playoffs, the number one seed in the two respective conferences, I think the number one seed should get a bye the first week. I mean, the first uh, first round, because you know, outside of those, what is it? Is it three series in the history of the league? 
that um that the number eight is beat the number one in the first round? I think it's something yeah, like yeah, I think yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I don't. Don't quote me on that. I think it's like three. But, I, 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 I remember yeah. when that Denver Nuggets with Matumbo beat uh, uh, Peyton Sonics when he's on the yeah. ground holding the ball up at the end. Exactly. That, I, think that I remember. Was, I think it was that was exactly. one of the five then, games, um, maybe that one. Yep, yep. And then Chicago when uh, Rose got hurt that year and they lost. Yep. They were the number one when when he. Uh, yep. And then also yep. um, when the Grizz beat the Spurs uh, a yep. couple years ago. So that, that's at least yeah. three that we could think of. How many uh, one eight matchups? I mean, that's I would bet the percentage yeah. is like zero point, you know, zero point zero five yeah. or something like that. Basically, the number one is gonna, you know, sort of, you know, your number one player tearing his ACL or something crazy happening. The number one is gonna make it to the next round. I think you give them the uh, the first round off. I think that makes the um the next. The series that do happen a little bit more competitive because you ha- you don't have that lopsided one eight matchup. You give them extra incentive for you know playing eighty two one games and I mean eighty two games and being the best in your respective conferences. So that's 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 something that I would love to see the NBA do. I don't know if it's something that it's even being discussed in the league offices, but it, it's something I'm all for. I don't know what what your thoughts are on it, but yeah, I, I've been looking at that and and. Um... You know, we had a conversation about it on the show on our previous podcast, and I I kind of saw it a lot changing it. But the, actually hearing your idea, because I hadn't thought about just giving them a buy, because then that would allow you to re-rank and restructure um, or, you know, do some different things. Um, I thought that that might, be, that might be an interesting way of looking at it, and it might create some different matchups versus what you would have with the Spurs and um, – the Clippers, in a way, I mean, do some different things that would allow for some different matchups. And so we've talked to everything about uh, uh, from, you know, ranking the top teams again, you know, change, you know, work by record, doing some different things. You know, I think part of it is that, you know, the strength of these divisions ebb and flow over time. You know, so right now it's heavy in the West, you know, and as free agency comes and people shift and move, you know, there's periods where areas, you know, certain the East is more difficult to get through than the West. It's been a West for a while, but, you know, as these free agency things go up, you'll probably see a swing uh, with that. But I think that might be the most promising is, you know, probably get the best teams. You worked hard to get it, you know, get a buy. And then rethink Agreed. how we might set up some of these early, these early rounds. I, I think that's something I could definitely uh, support. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I, and then I'll sign get, up get some that, different yeah. matchups. Yep. So I think you hit it big time. We're going to nibble a little bit of NFL. We were going to go deep, but, but given that you said you're a Jets fan, this is how I'm going to frame this one. We'll touch this, and then we're going to get to the to the meat of why we're doing this. Give me, your, give me your thoughts on the Jets draft, man. Did you feel good about it? Do you think they're going in the right direction? You got a new coaching staff over there. You know, how did you feel about where they were positioned and, you know, how they came out? I um I, I went into the draft sort of not knowing what to expect. Uh, you know, recent history, last couple couple of draft years, they've done a pretty good job. Uh, the, there's been so much changes in the organization, you didn't know what they were going to place a premium on, but they, they've done pretty well in the last three or four years in terms of picking defensive players. And I like um I, I love the uh, I love the number six the number six pick. I love I love that they. That you know this defensive line, which has been um, dominant and has some 
you know, some of the best defensive linemen in the game. They added this this young stud. Uh, I, I like that move. The rest of the picks, eh, you know, I, I don't know what you really make out of uh, Bryce Petty. I mean, even though, mm-hmm. um, you know, he had a, a, a pretty remarkable college career, uh, based, on, based on what I've read about him is that his, his pro prospects aren't very great, which, you know, certainly explains why he, he dropped so low in the draft. Um, yeah, and that's, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, in regards to that, the, the number six pick, I really want to see whether or not the, the Jets um, go into the season with this, with these, with everyone at the defensive line that, that you know, that's that signed right now. Because there's all kinds of rumors uh, in New York, which I'm sure is all, all around the NFL as well, that Mo Wilkinson, who is uh, going to be a free agent after after this upcoming season, um, there's been issues with negotiating an extension for his contract, and he could leave as a free agent. Uh, so if, if that's the case, then you got to think that they're probably going to try to trade him. So it would be very interesting for me to see if they do try to move him or if they just go into the season and say, even if this is his last, you know, we're going to try to put the best defensive um, defensive line, the best defensive team on the field that we can, and we're just going to hope that, uh, that Geno makes some sort of, uh, you know, huge leap and, and is able to uh, – to make the uh, the offense at least average, you know, because if you got a dominant enough defense, you got to think that, you know, just let's not have our offense uh, mess us up. So, to, to me, there's, there's right. a, listen- I, I like what they did, and it's very yeah. intriguing going forward about how they're gonna uh, how they're gonna address some of their needs and address this what seems like an overabundance of uh, D linemen. See, we wanted to let you know and and, and get you a sense for this man's skills. Just on how he broke his Jets down tells you what about the football acumen. We gave you a taste of the NBA stuff. We took you into some broader issues around gamesmanship. See, I, I, when we have somebody in the family, this, that's why I say we Wu-Tang. Because when they drop, they drop their own stuff. Know that they're very diverse in their ability. Like, what we, the stuff we're going to talk about from here on out is in his wheelhouse. But don't think that's just him. You know, like Ice-T used to say, my album reflects all aspects of my personality. And that's what we hear right now. And uh, we'll come back in a few minutes and get into this serious stuff. He just warmed up now. Now we're going to go in and you're going to get to uh, his real, his wheelhouse as we talk about the aftermath. Yo, 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 this is your boy DJ Slick with RSG, Real Sports Guys. Let's do this. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. LL Cool J is hot as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. You You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, 
RealSportsGuys.com Brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions One mic with Real Sports Guys. You listen to Real Sports Guys at realsportsguys.com, Real One Mic. And we're here with, you know, the boxing specialist, the analyst, the man, the myth, the legend. And before we get started uh, on the boxing side, Teron, as usual, I, I like to let make sure the people know where to find you, share that with you, and then mm-hmm. we'll jump into the boxing. Yeah, sorry. Yep. You can, uh, as usual, I am still with uh, one of the best sites on the uh, web for boxing content, boxing.com. Um, shout out to them. Uh, I've been a contributor for something like three years and enjoying every moment of it. And also to the Undisputed Champion Network dot uh, com, which is a site that I, I just recently formed a partnership with uh, in the last six months. It's they've got some wonderful writers there, some of the uh, most most talented and uh, most well known in the sport. And uh, it's a uh, it's a pleasure for me and an honor for me to be able to contribute to that site as well. So you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, like like you meant, like you said earlier, I tweet about everything, uh, whether it be from sports to politics, you name it. Uh, a lot of it is the pain that I I, I suffer from uh, from the teams that I root for, but uh, a lot of it is excitement. You know, watching NBA playoffs and boxing, or you name it. So you can find me at at Teron Briggs on Twitter. All right, man. So let's get into this. We know all the – it was a big hype build up Last week, We, you know, you broke down with the folks and talked them through, got them set up for it. Let's, 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 let's start with um, a couple of things I sent you, but let's, let's start with um, how you thought they approached the fight coming in. So even the reaction I sent you, you know – how Pacquiao came into the ring with the selfie, um, you know, how you saw the fight even unfold. So take me through your thoughts on as you, you were starting to watch the fight to kind of you know, and, and then kind of go into like the fight plan as you talked about and whether or not you thought some of those things were executed and then kind of end with how you scored it. Sure. Uh, well, I, I, not to pat myself on the back, though I'm literally patting myself on the back right now. Uh, because I actually got the prediction right, uh, and if you, for any of the, the listeners who follow my my boxing predictions, even though I like to think I'm a uh, very knowledgeable, I have been known to uh, to get fight picks wrong. Uh, namely, when I picked Canelo <laughs> Alvarez to beat Floyd Mayweather uh, a few years ago, I've never heard the. Uh, well, I, well, the I told you that. I never heard the end of that. I never heard the end of that. I'm still I'm still waiting for Canelo to win his first round in that fight. So. That's that's how off I was with that one, but um I was I was right in uh actually right in picking this one um the fight for the most part kind of played out the way I expected it to um like you said about the the, the lead up to the fight was ex- expected uh you know we we spoke the week of it was uh it was a circus it was you know cameras everywhere 
Um, the selfie, you know, it's interesting you make you mention that. I, I'm actually uh, a writer who I'm a big fan of Jason Keitel, who works uh, works for WFAN here in New York. Um, both they mm-hmm. felt like Manny uh, didn't seem to quite understand the magnitude of the of the event. Uh, it seemed like he was just too too happy go lucky, too busy worried about taking selfies, uh, and you know, it was not wasn't focused on the fight at hand. I personally actually didn't notice that in the build-up. Manny is, you know, Manny's built his reputation because of some of the ferocious knockouts that he has and because of the damage that he's done inside the ring. But uh, if anyone has followed his story, is is familiar with it. He is probably one of the friendliest, nicest boxers you will ever meet. I've never seen a guy smile as much as... uh, as much as he does, uh, he, I mean, he, he literally smiles more than a joker, I think. Uh, you see a press conference <laughs> or any sort of event with him, and he's just a happy-go-lucky guy. Uh, you know, the, the selfie was a little over the top, but, you know, hey, the, the guy came out to, you know, not Queen, I can't think of the group, uh, the famous rock group leading him to the ring. So he is uh, he's a guy who doesn't allow himself to get overwhelmed by the magnitude of the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he was relaxed going into the fight. Uh, certainly Floyd was. Uh, Floyd is relaxed in the ring, uh, and he seemed like his normal self uh, prior to the, you know, in the build-up. Um, he, the fight started off differently than how I, I imagined it. You know, Floyd actually mm-hmm. started uh, a little more aggressive than I thought he would. He he had more effectiveness early than I thought he would. I thought that the early rounds would go to Manny. I thought Manny's speed and, and power, which were things that – um. Uh, that, that we discussed last week that Floyd hadn't really faced uh, in recent years. It's been a, a while since he, he faced that combination of speed and power. I thought it was going to flummox him, uh, and I thought that it was going to take him a couple rounds to to figure out uh, Manny, but it was obviously, you know, he, he got off to an early start. Uh, you know, the second round for me uh, was, a, was a bit of a toss-up, even though uh, I think a lot of people gave it to Floyd. Certainly Manny's biggest moment was in the fourth round, where he, um, we saw him buckle uh, um, Floyd's legs a little bit, uh, you know, ca- causing him to, to go stumbling back into the uh, ropes. Uh, he did a he did a great job of covering up, but that was, uh, Manny was able to land a number of blows there. And for the the first six or seven rounds of the fight, I actually had it either just about even, or um, or I had Floyd slightly ahead. I thought it was very close going into going into the seventh and eighth rounds, and then I thought that we saw uh, down the stretch just dominate with his, his accurate punching, dominate with his uh, his defense. Uh, I think, you know, towards the uh, towards the end of the fight, I read um, and, and I saw in a press conference that uh, Manny said that he, he thought he was winning and kind of skated the 11th and 12th round. I don't know what the hell he – what fight he thought he was uh, participating in. But to me, I, I thought it looked more like he was uh, just completely um, clueless by the 11th and 12th round mm-hmm. about how they hit Floyd. And because of that, uh, you know, he just didn't – his punch output was – it was um, it was very low early on, and it, and it just it got lower as the fight went on. Uh, and I attributed at the time to – to him just, just not being able to land a clean shot on Floyd and, and not being able to figure out his, his defense and that shoulder roll. Um, ultimately, yeah, I, I, had to score, I had it about 116-112, though, the score uh, for Floyd, of course. 
Oh, so that seemed like I had one seventeen, one twelve. So you you had one, um, yeah. So I had. You, um, you mean one seventeen, one eleven? How did how did it come? It should have been. I don't know why my stuff calculated. It somehow this app I'm using had it at one seventeen, one twelve. So it should have been. So this this app I can't use anymore. So it should have been one seventeen, one. You know why? Because I had an even round. Oh, so I had. Okay. Yeah. So I had, and people don't do that very often in scoring. Like you can score round even. And I don't think people – so I scored uh, that ninth round even because if you look okay. at it, um, uh, Floyd, I think, established early on. But late in that ninth round, Manny hit him with a couple shots that well, I thought were the more effective shots. But I thought if you look at it on balance, Floyd controlled it. Manny's contribution were some nice shots that were effective. They're effective enough to, to for me to say, wow, could he have won it? And so I'm, I tend to do more than other people. To I'm not afraid to say that a round is even, um, whereas people feel like they need to score one ten nine or other. Um, I used kind of the Max Kellerman, you know, who would you have rather been at the end of that round? In that round, I was like, you could have been both of them, depending on who you liked. Yeah. And so I, so I, so that round, I, I scored even. And I think that's why I got what I got. Makes For sense. Some I mean. Ultimately, other than Manny Pacquiao and uh, well, no, no, like, let me not say other than Manny Pacquiao. Other than Manny Pacquiao and Skip Bayless, uh, yep. like the rest of the public <laughs> that watched the fight thought that uh, Floyd won. Yes. yes, it was. And the thing about it is, so this is interesting because, and I love the way you talked about how the fight started. Because um, one of the things I've been noticing about Floyd, and as I look back on a couple of other fights, is that part of what he does early on and I noticed this lately, is that he, um, in that first round, he establishes, hits you with a shot. And I think he did this with Manny. That I think throws people off because he hits them with enough power to make them understand he got power. Because I think most people come in and not respecting it. And I think he goes out of his It felt like in, in some of his recent fights, he's gone out of his way to establish that territory by being a little aggressive in the first round to get you where he wants you, and then he, he loves you to sleep with what I call uh, uh, that syrup. <laughs> no, it's his jab <laughs> and his head move, where you just get frustrated. And and I saw him do that with Manny, and I was like, oh, there he goes again. You know, uh, he learned him in with that syrup. He And I, I saw him going, because he wanted to establish space so that Manny – he wanted to let Manny know I'm the boss of this territory. And that's why he was really aggressive on that because against Manny, if you let him know he the boss, that's where you're in trouble. And I think he went out of his way. And he's done that with a couple. I think he did it with uh, Madonna. And, you know, wasn't afraid to let the cat know I'm, I'm, I'm owning this space too. And then he, he's able to then work off of that. What? How do you? How do? You, maybe my interpretation is not right, but how do you feel about that, or do you see that? Oh no, no, I completely agree with you. And you know, we we discussed it last week that uh, yeah. the the reach advantage that Floyd had, which was uh, five inches, seventy two inches, yes. uh, seventy two inch reach advantage to to Manny sixty seven, and I think that and the size advantage that Floyd had uh, made him more aggressive earlier than he might have been if he were, you know, in the in the ring with a, a bigger man. Um and I think that his his jab, which dominated the fight, I mean, 
I don't remember the percentage yes. off the top of my head, but he outlanded um, Manny uh, by a lot in terms of total punches, but he completely dominated. It was something like almost 70%, uh, 70-30 in terms of the number of jabs that he landed in comparison to, to Manny. And he didn't just flicker his jab out. He didn't just use his jab as a as a range finder. Like you said, he, he threw a stiff jab, like, like the way I like a drink, if I'm going out, a nice stiff drink, he threw a nice stiff, and especially a nice stiff left jab that, like you said, kept the distance. He, he wanted yes. to, to let Manny know that I have a reach advantage, and I, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, Manny was so wildly inaccurate is that he was throwing punches from too far away. Uh, he was throwing punches from further enough away that Floyd felt comfortable that he could um, that he could simply step to the side to avoid them, uh, shoulder roll out of the way of them, or just block them with his uh, with his gloves. And and he did it. He came out and he did that from the first minute of round one, like you said. And and it paid dividends for him as the fight went on because I think that also contributed towards Manny being reluctant later in the fight to just jump right in, even though uh, I believe that he he knew that he was losing that fight. Uh, and, and, and probably would need a knockdown or something dramatic at the end. I just don't think – I think that that stiff jab, that those those hard punches kept him from just going all the way in and, and just sort of winging completely wild socks and, and trying to go for a knockout. What did you think about uh, Floyd's father, Senior, the animation in the ring? I mean, this was son and father connecting. But it wasn't like, in, you know, in earlier years, it, you would, it would look like Floyd was agitated. But you could tell Floyd was looking at him like, Dad, I know you know you're right. You know, in in some ways, like, what did you think about that interaction between him and his father throughout that fight, and how animated? Because he's normally uh, protect yourself kind of guy, but he was really about get him out of there, which was even out of his character. Because Floyd has his style of fighting because of his father, <laughs> with the hit but don't hit strategy. How, what was your reaction to the way his father was interacting with him in the corner? I, you know, I thought his. I, I loved it as his dad was was you know was telling him that he needed to be more aggressive. Uh, you know, I I I believe that listen, Floyd has fought in Vegas like eight or nine straight times. Uh, he's received obviously because he's undefeated. Anytime he's been in a close fight, he's received the benefit of the doubt and gotten a decision. But I really think that you know going into this fight with facing Pacquiao, I think that they if if he won my decision with. I think that, you know, because he usually wins by decision, they expected it to. I think they felt a, a certain need to punctuate the fight where they might not have with another opponent. They felt like they needed to clearly show that Floyd uh, was a better fighter and, and won, uh, won more rounds. So I, I love the interaction. You know, for all of the issues they've had over the years, you can, when when they're friendly and, and when, when they're on good terms, Floyd and his dad, you see the respect that Floyd has for his father and uh and his father's knowledge of boxing. I mean, his father was a guy who trained him when he was an amateur, a young amateur that, you know, one of the best in the country and one of the brightest futures. His dad helped, uh, his dad and his uncle helped instill the boxing knowledge in him that he has now. So, you know, he his dad is his trainer. Floyd, Floyd is, uh, has been in the sport long enough that he knows what to do at the ring, but it's uh, it's good to see that, even though he knows what to do, he still respects the opinion of his his dad, his trainer, and follows and follows what he's instructed to do. It's it's interesting, and 
you know, and, and the way you break it down, because the way people could characterize Freud, um, and I love Teddy Allison's uh, analysis of, of Freud. You know, Floyd's life could be out of control outside of boxing, but in boxing, he is as disciplined and as focused as anyone. Um, and to me, that's why I felt like he was going to win um, because he's best in the big moments. You know, if you're going to catch him, you know, depending on who he fights in this next fight, that might be the fight you catch him. But in this one, when he's looking straight at the target, can see it coming, there's a hard way to, uh, to, to, to get him. I was also surprised that Freddie Roach wasn't as interactive and animated as I've seen him with Manny and other fighters in the corner. It's almost like this battle between Fred, it's between Freddie and, and uh, Floyd. And he's seeing Floyd has got him again. And, you know, Manny was his best chance, he believed, to kind of put his plan together because Floyd is already frustrating with all of his other fighters and winking at him every time he tried to create a trap for Floyd. And he's not even looking at the fighter. He's looking at, 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 at Freddie. And it's like almost like Freddie was deflated. Even when Manny was talking about whether or not he won the fight, look at Freddie's body language. Freddie comes out later and says stuff. But Freddie did not – you know when Freddie feels like he's gotten robbed, like the Bradley fight? He's up there in the mic. You know, Pacquiao can barely say anything when Freddie is really animated. What did you make of, of, of Freddie throughout this fight? Did, did you see anything, or what, am I just reading too much into it? It, it was a pretty abrupt change in demeanor, um, and, and it's interesting you pointed it out. But it's a, like I said, it's an abrupt change in demeanor from how he was in the lead-up to the fight. Because in the lead-up yes. to the fight, he was the most aggressive Talker, maybe, maybe arguably besides uh, Floyd Mayweather Senior, um, not not Junior, but um, but even probably even even more so than Floyd Mayweather Senior, and in, in regards to talking about how confident that he felt that Manny would not only win but could also win by knockout, uh, you know, and even before the lead up to this fight and over the years, he said that Floyd is scared, uh, that he believes Floyd is scared of uh, Manny and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I I agree with you. Uh, when, when you look at Certainly late, late in the fight, when you would expect a guy who had so much confidence uh, that Manny's power was going to be able to uh, to to stop Floyd or at least hurt him, it, it was surprising that that he was that he was so that he lacked aggressiveness. You know, he was almost the exact opposite of uh, of Floyd Mayweather Senior and and Floyd Mayweather Junior's corner. So no, no, I I I, I agree with you. It, it was you know, is it. I, I don't. I'm not gonna, you know, start any sort of try to start a conspiracy or anything beyond that. But it, it was a little, it was a little puzzling. And and that might that leads us, you know, obviously, you know, the aftermath created a whole bunch of things. I personally believe Manny hurt his shoulder because he was missing Floyd too much and made him tore it <laughs> on all them, them hard punches and all he was catching was air. And maybe that maybe he came with a strained shoulder and throwing them hard punches and missing tore it. That could have been, but I've seen people. I've seen a couple fighters that we we've known who've been in with hurt, with injured shoulders, and who fought with one one arm. I think I don't know if it was Floyd or somebody may have fought a fight, you know, just one hand all the way through the end, rest of the fight. Um, so I've seen people in the ring even get injured in the ring and continue to fight to the end with one arm and everything else. What puzzled me about this is that I didn't see. Manny wincing or not committing to his punches. 
the way you would assume somebody with that kind of injury um, would not commit to his punches. And so what was your, as the aftermath started to unfold? So first, let, let's start with this. People were kind of getting frustrated. And for me, I love this. I'm a boxing fan. And even paying it, I knew we were going to get what we were going to get. You heard me last week say this. And I pre- what I watch is I love watching Floyd just break everybody down and make everybody frustrated and watch the air go out of the room. That's where I'm going up and getting hyped because I'm like, you know, Floyd hasn't changed. What He told you what's going to happen. I got a blog. I got a piece that's actually going to come out about this that I'll, I'll share with you when I, I post it about this. Like, what's all the complaining about? And I break it down, and I'll, I'll, you might you might appreciate this. And I was going to drop it, but I was going to wait till after I we had our conversation tonight. I'll probably drop it tomorrow or or before the Canelo fight. But but Floyd Floyd did what he told you he was going to do, and then you heard people booing. But Floyd ain't never changed. Even Teddy Atlas said that Floyd is Floyd. You know what you're going to get. What you were hoping is Manny's going to give you more to break that down and. So I was surprised with because I thought Floyd did what he's supposed to do, and yeah, people paid it, but he gave you what he'd been giving you forty-eight times, um, and it was up to Manny to make the fight. And 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 I heard Freddie talking about what they were going to do. Is one of the things that Freddie said is that he said the mistake most people make is following Floyd uh, around the ring and creating the angles for him and his his defense. And so what they were talking they were talking about doing is changing direction. So, Manny, your shoulder was hurt, but your feet weren't hurt. And everybody was talking about his footwork was 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 going to be the difference, right? He didn't use his footwork either. So, so I was surprised some of the reaction to Floyd, because I thought Floyd held up his end of the deal, you know, uh, with this. What was your kind of reaction to that immediate kind of ending of the fight? The immediate ending? Um, I, I, I differ with you a little bit in regards to holding up his end of the fight, um, uh, talking about Floyd. He did, yeah. like you said, uh, what I expected him to do. If, if you look at his, his fight over the last um, four or five years, that's that's who Floyd is as a fighter. He's extremely composed, but he's in the ring. He's very relaxed in the ring, but he's not a uh, much of a risk taker. So that was expected. Uh, I think, you know, like you said, a lot of the onus was on Manny. But to me, Floyd has made a point to call himself, and obviously it was a huge controversy in the build-up to this fight, the greatest the greatest fight of all time, TBE. If you see his way, he's had the, the best ever. So to me, when you say you're the best ever, not only are you just trying to say, not only are you putting yourself above the best right now, you're saying I'm the best to ever do this game, and, and boxing has been around, you know, 100-plus years. You're holding yourself to a very, you know, a very, very high standard, almost an impossible standard. But if you're going to say that, then when you're facing a guy who is clearly smaller than you, uh, and not by a ton, but smaller than you, having issues with you, I would have loved to see Floyd sort of press for a knockout late in that fight or um, – if if you're if you're one of the greatest the, the greatest ever, so I, I kind of think that he didn't live up to to a standard in that regard. But, but I would was, say he, I would say he yeah. did. He hit it with that short uppercut. I thought when I looked at it, he 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 tried to hit it. He tried to hit it with some tough shots down the, down the stretch. He hit it with that that uppercut was brutal, and he hit it with some. But you know, so I, I didn't think he. Just kind of, you know, there's there's some fights when Floyd, you could tell he clearly cruise control. I agree with you, but I thought he yeah. had moments. 
especially after his dad was getting animated, when he tried to hit him with some tough shots, try to go to the body, try to break him down, and you saw Manny effective, and he hit him with that uppercut. I didn't think he totally, you know, like he I, he he can go four corners. You're right. He can go four corners no, no, like no, Dean no, no. Smith. Okay. And, and that would have been too much to ask for him because it's just not yeah. in his makeup. Yeah. But we've seen, to me, if you look at Floyd's career uh, from early on, and, and he was at lighter weights then, then mm-hmm. he just – he doesn't have a desire to want that that killer instinct. I don't know. It's because the guys that he's facing are bigger, and his and his power hasn't carried up much. But when you know one of the, the best um, wins of his career was over Diego Chico Corrales, uh, you know, since oh, that was a great nine fight. years ago now, and that, they were equally you know in terms of um, size, equally matched. And Floyd put on a boxing clinic, threw his punches with a, with more authority uh, than I have seen him yes. do in recent years, and he did when he was a lightweight, when he fought at the lighter weights. Just haven't seen that yes. from him. Uh, and I I saw, like you said, certainly I've seen him skate more. I mean, I think in the second Madonna fight, he was more yeah. than content to just, you know, to, to to embarrass Madonna and show that Madonna couldn't land on him. Um, I think he realized he couldn't hurt Madonna because he was a big guy with a strong chin, and, and he didn't really necessarily try. He just tried to outbox him. He did more so... He did throw harder punches with more uh, killer intent in in the Pacquiao fight, but I I I, I would have liked to have seen more. But the, the argument he makes is his boxing, and the boxing the boxing is hit or not get hit. And so you could argue that Sugar Ray's career might have been different if he didn't get goaded into doing some of these highly physically damaging. Exchanges. Even when he he came back to fight, as we you talked about before, you know, um, uh, uh, in some of his second fights um, uh, uh, around some things, where he learned those lessons, he started boxing. Even against Hagler, he he boxed a little bit more, and then it, so the fight game is we get so infatuated. It's kind of like society with knockouts. It's not really a fight unless somebody get knocked out. But boxing is the sweet science too, and you know, Floyd is more. It's like it's like asking, um, uh, you know, some of those Braves pitchers who were who knew how to paint the corner to try and be a power pitcher. It don't make them any less great than than that. That's a great performance. Everybody everybody can't be a power pitcher like Clemens, especially if you're not you're not doing some other stuff. So <laughs> so can we have a can we have a can you be the greatest of all time and have appreciation for that style? Um. And he throws enough power because if he was totally somebody who ran, we've seen some, some some guys who they are slick boxers who get caught because they don't have enough power to keep people off you, you know. And so he yeah. got enough power to make people respect him, which says something versus, you know, you can't just run through him. And he's doing that for some reason. So that's the part where I struggle with it. And, um, and I think maybe in this fight, I, I would agree with you, maybe he could have really – Put the you know it was clear that he maybe could have just you know picked up the pace on Manny, um, mm. but I think the reason why he does a TBE is that's about the marketing. It's less about am I really TBE? If you caught him in a dark moment by himself driving the car, he'd say no. He, I think he'd say great he in the group, you know, but he wouldn't be saying I'm on the top of the, the you know I'm undefeated. But I think he would he would have a little bit more humility in a space if it was just you and him in a private space with no cameras and weren't going out. But this is part of the marketing game for him. So I, I saw that more as the marketing than, than – I think he believes it, but he also 
believes it's it's more like we talk about basketball. It's like if there's gonna if there's a Hall of Fame for boxing, then there's a little room, and they only put a couple people in that little room. Does he believe he in that little room? Yeah. Yeah, and I think most people would put him in that little room. Like Jordan is in that little room, right? Wilt's in that little room, right? Kareem probably in that little room. Magic's probably in that little room. You know, Bird probably in that little room. Then who else is in that little room? Not that many people get in a room. We only let like seven in that little room. If it's only seven in that little room, he probably in the little room. Yeah. That's probably what he would probably admit to, to, to being for what he does. He probably in that little room. That's what I would probably say with that. Um, but that's why I thought he did his thing. Versus Manny gave you nothing. And now people say, well, he was hurt. Now, you, you, you've you been around boxing. Explain to people, what's your thoughts? I mean, you understand the etiquette around the game. Um, you know, they had George Foreman on a couple of fights. We obviously know what happened um, uh, in the fight against uh, that had to be delayed against Ali. Um, what, what's your opinion? And also there's some legal stuff that's part of this as well. Can you help break this down so the layperson can understand what's going on, what should have been said, what should have been done? Can you help us understand that? Well, yeah, um, uh, in regards to the shoulder injury, you know, yes. I'm not privy to anything that uh, that the general public isn't, you know, based mm-hmm. on the, the the facts as they've been presented to us, it did seem like he had some sort of uh, minor shoulder issue that he was receiving a uh, anti-inflammatory for prior to the fight. Uh, that shoulder injury, whatever it was, uh, was something that, he didn't. He did not disclose to the Nevada Athletic Commission until uh, a few hours before the fight. When he had the opportunity to disclose it, uh, the day of the weigh-in, the day prior to the fight, in a form that all fighters have to fill out, which indicates whether or not you're entering the fight with an injury, he checked no. I have no injuries. So I, I don't think they could have canceled the fight. You know, people mm-hmm. say, oh, if you're injured, and listen, if, if you have a major injury, if you have a tear in your shoulder, then the fight has to be canceled. It has to be canceled. But if you tell me it's a minor, you know, a minor strain, he saw a doctor, you know, his people at t- Top Rank and Bob Arum have come out and said that, you know, no, they have never come out and said that a doctor told them that this fight needs to be canceled. Um, and they did acknowledge that a doctor did obviously um, – see his shoulder because they were the ones who had him who prescribed him the anti-inflammatory so let's let's just stop to talk about canceling the fight it was just too big it was too close there was nothing in the injury based on what we've been told that it should have been stopped um that, it, that the fight should have been postponed i i agree with you i i think that at some point in the fight yeah i think that it, at some point in the fight he he worsened the injury um, he just had surgery uh, yesterday out in Los Angeles. Uh, he is going to be out for eight to twelve months um, from the ring. So you know, for the, those who who question whether or not you know there was actually an injury, there certainly was. Uh, you know, who knows when it when it worsened? Like you like you said, I didn't see anything in that fight um, from his his movements, the, the way that he threw punches or even the look on his face, you know, that you would associate with the pain of having a severe tear. I never saw that during the fight. Uh, I, I'm look, really looking forward to rewatching it um, this weekend uh, again because it, it would be the second time I've only saw it the once, the one time that it was shown. But I didn't see that. Uh, nah, he looked like he committed. He looked he was committed to his punches. 
And like I said, he might have heard it missing. Which then, Floyd again. Floyd tearing your shoulder. You throwing so hard, you miss it. So, yeah, I, that part I didn't see. But because he looked like he was committing to those punches. Even the punch he hit, he hit Floyd with that, that staggered him a little bit. Told you he had a little bit of power. He was hitting him with some stuff. So, I, I, you're right. You couldn't have canceled the fight um, a, at all. And I'm not sure how bad the injury was prior to the fight versus, like you said, there might have been a point in the fight where he did more damage or Floyd was hitting it and doing some damage. I, you know, that's the part I, 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 I don't know. So who do you think Floyd should fight next? I, I heard Mir Khan's on that might be on it, but who would you like to see him fight? Well, a lot depends on what um what Floyd when Floyd fights. Uh he is scheduled to fight in September. He all indications are that he's gonna fight in September. Uh, you know, that's that's basically his schedule over the last few years since he signed his showtime contract has been made September are uh, the two times a year he fights. So if he does uh, indeed come back in the ring, um, now this was the biggest fight of the contract. Uh, I don't know if he's going to want to take off more time. You know, it's a it's a fairly short turnaround to September if you think about it. Um, when you factor in an eight week training camp, uh, but if he does fight in September, Amir Khan has already come out and said that due to his um his Muslim religion and and the fact that he is a uh, he practices Ramadan which occurs over the summer, that he would not be physically able to fight in September, even against Floyd. So if, if we're going to hold him to his word on that, uh, he has certainly begged for Floyd to push the fight back. But if Floyd is going to have his fight in September, there's going to appear like Amir Khan is going to be available. To be, There aren't really any welterweights that he can fight because, um, as I mentioned last week and as a lot of the viewers might know, Bob Arum, top-ranked, uh, and Al Heyman, who is Floyd Mayweather's um, advisor, have issues. So there's a, a bunch of fighters like Timothy Bradley, who you mentioned earlier, that it isn't feasible for Floyd to fight. So when you look at that, I actually wouldn't be um, opposed to seeing him fight Miguel Cotto again, this time for Miguel Cotto's yeah. uh, middleweight title. Um, in terms of makeable fights, I would love to see him fight Gennady Govalkin, the um, the guy who most people consider to be the best middleweight fighter, but I, I, that fight is not going to happen. Um, so in terms of makeable fights, I would sign up for him against Cotto again. Yeah, because Cotto's rebuilt this stuff, especially with the the win over Martinez and the devastating way he did it. You know, you can see he's refreshing back to the old Cotto. It feels like um, would be an uh, interesting fight. I was thinking that as well, that, that – that Cotto could be a, a, a possible um, uh, fight for him um, in a way that would be be good. All right. So we'll, we'll put that one to bed. And now we're going to move over to this guy, Canelo. Kirkland. Like, let's, do, let's, do, let's do the setup again, kind of like we did for the big fight last week. Talk a little bit about how each of these fighters got to this moment. And then – we're going to try and go into what you believe should be the fight plan um, with it. And, and Kirkland is also coming in with a different trainer. And I think maybe some of the listeners don't know what the impact of, of the change in trainer might have and how he fights. Um, if you're able to talk about that, that would be good as well. And then obviously we'll get to a point where we, we might, uh, we want to hit on your prediction. So let's start with the setup, kind of how we got to this matchup. Definitely. Well, uh, 
most people know of uh, Saul Canelo Alvarez from his fight with uh, Floyd Mayweather two years ago, uh, one that he lost in lopsided fashion. But uh, that remains the only loss on his uh, in his career. Um, he's beat some of the some of the the better fighters at middleweight, which is the um, his the division that he junior middleweight, excuse me, the division that he fights at. Um, he beat Austin Trout. Uh, a couple years ago, he beat Shane Mosley, though it was an older um, Shane Mosley, Ursulande Lara, who's a, a tough southpaw that doesn't, not a lot of non-boxing fans know, but he's well-respected in the um, in boxing. And Alvarez has a, a bunch of nice wins on his career. Uh, one of the best things about uh, Saul Alvarez is that he is 24 years old. People forget, uh, you know, we just came from a fight the mega fight uh, that we talked about, in which we had one guy who was 38, uh, Floyd, and another guy who was 36, and Manny. Well, in this fight that we have, we got Saul Alvarez, who's 24, and James Kirkland, who's 31. So we got two guys who are closer to their prime um, or right in the smack of their prime uh, athletic careers. So that alone makes me excited, and, and they're two young guys. So anytime you get two young guys in the ring, uh, I think we're going to see a completely different fight than what we saw last week. Um James Kirkland, like you said, comes into the fight. Um, unlike Alvarez, he, he doesn't have some of the nice, nicer names on his record that uh, Alvarez has, but he, they have a common opponent, opponent in Alfredo Angulo, and both guys knocked out Angulo, who, is, uh, who at one time was one of the better junior middleweights in the, um, in the sport. Kirkland comes in. Uh, it's, it's important for people to know off of a almost uh, – well, not quite two years, but about a, about a year and a half hiatus. The last time he fought was in December of 2013, and it was a, a brutal brutal knockout victory over Glenn Tapia. Did you get a chance to see that fight? Yeah. Uh, Kirkland's last fight? Okay. It was, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be ringside in Atlantic City for it. I, I was about three or four rows back, and blood, uh, blood got on my laptop. So that's as I type, as I typed away, I thought to myself, "Is my nose bleeding? Am I bleeding?" I realized it was one of the blood, uh, the blood from one of the fighters. That was one of the most brutal um, stoppages that uh, that you'll see. So I definitely highly recommend people um, people take a look at that fight if they haven't seen it. But that was Kirkland's last fight. He's had issues. Uh, he's a guy who is many in the sport have called a malcontent, and just that. He's had issues with train with trainer. He's had issue with management. He's had issue with his promoter. He's had issue with um, making contracts to fight guys. This is actually uh, the third, two other times in the past over the last couple of years, Kirkland and Alvarez were supposed to fight for whatever reason. Kirkland backed out, so he, he's coming into this fight. Um, though he's won his last five fights in a row. He's coming with time off, and he's coming in with a new trainer. And his 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 previous trainer, Ann Wolf, was um. A lot of people, more so than any trainer um, fighter combination that you'll see in a sport, people gave her a lot of credit. Uh, usually it's the fighter who gets a lot of credit. And, you know, if you got a top trainer, maybe he'll get a little bit. Anne Wolf became uh, synonymous with Kirkland because she's a tough woman, a former fighter herself, and she got him in excellent condition. Uh, for whatever reason, James has decided that um, that he does not want to – he didn't want to train with her. He's going in with a, a lesser-known trainer but one who he says he feels confident can get him prepared for the fight. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Usually when a, when a fighter signs up with a new trainer, uh, a top fighter, 
they usually try to take a, uh, a sort of gimme with them, just to you know, just to work out new techniques and stuff like that. For James to try out a new trainer and uh, a huge fight like this against a former title holder like Alvarez is, is you know, it's not something that you see very often. Uh, a lot of people think it's going to be a disadvantage for him. I believe so as well. Uh, I think Alvarez uh, goes into this fight as the uh, the clear cut favorite, but. It, it, it should be a good fight. The styles just, just make it a good fight. Both guys like to engage. Both guys are natural, 154-pound junior middleweight fighters, which, which, which um, like this, this fight is at. So I have every reason to believe this is going to be a, a excellent fight this weekend. And I, you know, and it's unfortunate, you know. And one of the things I it, it, I wanted you to go through that first because. Given the aftermath of what just happened this weekend, and you know, and this is you, you live and breathe this. Um, how do you think the game comes out? Because I think this is a great fight, and in some ways, you know, I think this is the fight that people hope they would have paid for. Um, and the fact that this is on HBO and this would be a great pay per view fight, I think, in some ways, because of the kind of action you probably would get. Um, what does that who who do you see being able to carry do you see Canelo as that person carrying the mantle? I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week, but um I mean is the time you would say the timing for the for this fight is good given the aftermath, right? Because this fight it's gonna miss some of the casual fight fans, which is unfortunate, but it could restore what the what it could be. I mean, how do you feel about that, you know, coming out of this and knowing this great fight is here and you know, and, and it's kind of losing noise to this other stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think, like you said, unfortunately, this is this is the way it is uh, with boxing because it is uh, not one of the the major sports. Unless it's in a major, unless it's a major event that's occurring, it's not going to get much mainstream um, attention. As a you know, as a boxing writer and a boxing fan, that's just something that I've come to learn. So. It's not surprising. Um, like you said, you pointed out something that I think is a uh, uh, is a great point, and that this fight is not on pay per view. Uh, Canelo, after his fight with uh, with Floyd, which was you know became one of the top ten highest grossing fights of all time, he became so popular that he became a pay per view fighter, and so he did pretty good numbers on pay per view. Pay per view. You know, most people look at pay-per-view as a way to sort of hurt the sport because it limits the number of people who can watch it. So this fight is going to be on HBO. Uh, a lot more people are going to be able to watch it than if they were on pay-per-view, so that's a great thing. Um, both guys have been on HBO a bunch of times. Like I said, Canelo has obviously been in the uh, Mayweather fight. He's fought on, he's headlined Showtime cards as well. Uh, Kirkland has fought on both Showtime and HBO. Uh, so it's not you're going to get a quarter of the attention of a Mayweather um, Pacquiao, but it's going to get a, a huge buzz with, buzz within a boxing community and even outside of it because so many people um, know Canelo from his fight with Floyd because he's a, a young um, a young guy who is very friendly. Uh, women uh, seem to find him very attractive. Uh, so he's a marketable guy for the sport. Because of that, uh, this is being also being promoted by Golden Boy, which is one of the, the best promotional companies in the business. It's gonna. I think a, a lot of eyes are gonna get a chance to see this fight. I don't think the sport was terribly hurt by what happened with Pacquiao Mayweather. Fans who who follow boxing, this is not gonna affect their opinion um, of the sport. They're gonna continue to watch. 
Um, those who are maybe casual fans, you know, I think they might tune out for a little while. But if you tell me a year from now there was a, a huge fight that could be made um, that, you know, they could capture the public's attention, I don't think anyone would not watch the fight because of what happened in Pacquiao Mayweather. I think you can make another major fight in the sport without people saying, oh, wow, after what happened in with that Pacquiao Mayweather fight, I'm not going to buy another pay-per-view, whatever. People say that all the time. They said that years ago when Lennox Lewis knocked out Tyson in what was supposed to be the fight of the century, and, mm-hmm. you know, Lennox mopped up uh, Mike for, you know, eight or nine rounds before he knocked him out. And I remember a bunch of people then saying, I'm never buying another pay-per-view again. And I bet you 100% of those people bought, paper, bought the Pacquiao Mayweather pay-per-view. So, you know, bad you have bad Super Bowls, you have bad NBA Finals, it doesn't hurt those sports. I don't uh, – a bad fight in the uh, in the mega fight is going to hurt this sport. And, and I think that, you know, at least in some of these middleweights and lower weights, we have probably some of the best pool of talent we've had in a long time coming up. Our ability to make some big fights um, that can create the buzz, if we can get a lot of these folks out of the way, um, could – you know, we could we we got some fighters that we could create that spirit of what we had Duran and Hagler, Hearns. I mean, we got some good fighters, but it's it, the reason why those fights work because a lot of these fights got made. A lot of these, a lot of these, if you talk, if you think about it as a kind of an artificial tournament, there are a lot of good fights that were made for Duran, and a lot of good fights that were made for Leonard. A lot of good fights were made to create the buzz for that big fight. Same thing happened with Hearns. So there was enough of these fights like Kirkland and Canelo to be made to build for, uh, you know, Triple G and Canelo, right? And that's the part that you need. You need to build towards it. And the fact that some of these folks are not working together to build. So it's less about Pacquiao and Mayweather. We want them to fight in a in a really good window. And that's why I always said that people got mad at Don King, and Don King did a lot of people a lot of wrong. But – those fights that were supposed to happen for the most part, they might have been a year delay, two year delay. They went five years delay. And so, <laughs> it, 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 and what we have to do is the big fights got to happen in boxing, unlike you know MMA. But the big fights got to happen in that two week, two year window period. The big fight from the time it's talked about to the time it happens it happens in that window, then it can happen. But it's about these fights like Kirkland. It's about uh, some of those other matchups that create the buzz for the big pay per view. That's being killed, and I think that's what's got to happen more. Agreed. I may have taken you. You you know me on that one. Yeah, if you look at the history of the sport, some of the best fights that have occurred, and especially best fights that were mega fights, it was a mix. Um, It it featured two guys who were at or near their prime. You know, whether it be the first Ali Frazier, you know, when they were both undefeated, uh, or even you know going back to. Trinidad and, and De La Hoya, which unfortunately turned out to not be a great fight, um, but featured two young, undefeated Lions, you know, two guys in their prime. That, that's what you want. That's what you want in a sport. Um, and like you said, when, when you when you have something like a, a Tyson-Lewis, which drags on and on in terms of putting a fight together, or Pacquiao-Mayweather to the point that, you know, five or six years after people demand the fight, it gets made. And you, then you start risking the fight being made when guys aren't in their physical prime anymore and, and yep. aren't able to compete at a high level. And, and that's what you have. Um, so, like you said, uh, Canelo Alvarez is 24. you got to think 
this guy has another six or seven years maybe uh, if he if he trains right and, and treats his body right that he can fight at the top level. Uh, you know, what he does this weekend, win, lose, or draw, he's got to be a, you know, he's got a big enough following going forward. People are going to want to see him fight. And if he goes out and he gets a big win uh, this weekend, whether it be by stoppage or in, or just a dominant victory, it's only going to help build him up as a fighter. Uh, and like you said, then maybe we get a, a Triple G versus uh, Canelo or Canelo versus Cotto down the road. Yeah, I think that Canelo versus Cotto would be huge just because of the people following. I mean, and you know that's going to be some firepower. You know, particularly if um, Cotto can have another solid victory um, to really set that up, and in, in, uh, in, in, uh, Canelo can have and have and get through this one. That could be an interesting mega fight that could have some could have some pay per view value, or it, obviously big fight value, a lot of eyes on it, um, just because of the communities they can draw from. Um, I think that would be. Uh, something we could we could look at. I was going to ask you something. So I watched. This is what I love about Mayweather. So I, I saw he got the Mayweather. So he's been doing the whole thing. They got the Mayweather sports thing going. So he's you know he's he's trying to position himself in this game as well. Um, and he's got the right connections. You know, in a way that you've seen Golden Boy and Oscar come out of it. You know, where do you see do you see where do you see that working? Where do you see Mayweather be getting? That's why I see him moving. Do you see him starting to get into this game a little bit, even more so? Yeah, I think so. I think as he, you know, as he gets closer to uh, retirement, whether it be a fight or two or maybe even three away, I, I think you're, you're starting to see him focus on his other, um, you know, focus on other ways to make money. Uh, and certainly. Yep. A promotional company is is one of them. The guy knows boxing in and out. He has the connections. Uh, right now, he's got a, a decent stable fighter. He's got a, a one guy with a um, with the world title, Badu Jack. He's got a couple other mm-hmm. fighters who are fringe contenders, and certainly would have to build his base. Uh, you know, he's had his promotional company for quite some time. Uh, for quite some mm-hmm. time, they didn't even have a promoter's license, and it's, it sort of seemed like a toy uh, that you know that you know your rich kid goes out. It's a toy that, you know, looks really nice and has so many other toys that he doesn't even, you know, have time to play with it. Uh, that's the way it looked like with um with Floyd's promotional company in the first few years of its existence. He is starting to focus on it more. Uh, you know, if, if he's going to keep, keep being aligned with Al that you know, there's certainly a, a chance that they, they would work together. Al Hayman working as an advisor and – you know, Floyd uh, Mayweather Promotions uh, acting as his sort of, you know, uh, promotional company of uh, by choice. So the the sky's the limit for Floyd. It's just a matter of how serious he is about putting his energy and effort into, you know, building this building the promotional brand. If he's serious about it, then then you got to think that he could certainly have something on par with Golden Boy. Or, or so this gets me to. This gets me to my my, my 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 point here before we close out. I'm calling this Tehran's crystal ball. Um, we're ten years from now. You and I are back on the air. I'm, I'm a little bit bigger. Maybe we're in the studio. And where do you see? Where, where, where do you see? What are some of your predictions that you see in, in terms of the future of the game that we could track? That you you you're kind of thinking about the future of the sport where you think it might be. Well, I'm, I'm I'm always optimistic about boxing. Um, you know, I spoke to you uh, last weekend about these two, uh, well, one 
sort of new figure, that being Rock Nation and, and Jay-Z, but uh, also Al Heyman, um, who, you know, we've talked ad nauseum about, and the fact that these two new sort of entities have gotten into the sport and they've put a ton of money into it. And ultimately, that's how you, you know, you look at the NFL, you look at, you know, the other top sports leagues, you attract good talent when you pay them well. Um, and you attract good talent when you give them an opportunity to sign on the biggest stage. So now Boston is making a, a huge effort to, to, to be back on network television. Is They're on, you know, pretty much every station of your uh your 500 cable, uh, 500 channel cable box almost right now. Two TV, NBC, CBS. The list goes on and on. Just there is room for growth in the sport, and if the if these guys, you know, get their get their stuff together, their shit together, uh, uh, not for not having a better word, and and learn to work with each other a little bit more, like we had with the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. I mean, there had been, like I said, there had been all kinds of contentions between the two sides, but when there was enough money in the pot. They decided to get together and put on a fight. Um, hopefully, we won't have to wait five years, you know, for other good matchups in the sport and, you know, guys working through issues to, for them to realize that they need to work together. And if they continue to work together as a group, there'll never be one boxing organization, um, you know, because people make too much money individually. But if they work together more like they did in the past, you know, 30, 40 years ago, then I think I think the the future is very bright for the sport. I'm looking forward to it. There's great young talent uh, at all divisions of the sport, whether it be smaller or the smaller weight, the bigger weight. And if there's more money in it, you're gonna you're gonna attract better talent, even at the heavyweight division. Especially now that you're seeing all the issues with the NFL and you know concussions and stuff like that. You know, you, you could just as well argue you know, boxing is as dangerous as football is. You know, now and make a compelling argument for that. So. Well, hey, you heard it all. That's my guy. Hey, it's good again. Back to back one mics. Um, obviously, you know you you will be back in the future, whether it's sooner or later. But I love doing this. I hope you have fun with it, man. I appreciate always, you being brother, a part always. of this podcast and the journey. And uh, we'll certainly be following you on Twitter and uh, following your blog and um, uh, promoting here on uh, the RSG platform. We appreciate it, and you have a blessed weekend uh, until that bell rings. Take it easy, brother. All right. Hey, y'all, take it easy. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Check us out on realsportsguys.com. And um, you can catch us on Twitter as well from there and Facebook. And uh, support our sponsors and also support uh, Teron Briggs and all the work he's doing uh, to make, uh, you know, to, to bring boxing to you as well as other sports content, but to really help you understand the fight game and, and a lot of value added opportunities there. Till next time. RSG.